Can you hear me? Oh, wow. Has it started? Damn. Oh, I'm going to open uh, my beer. Are you ready? Should yeah. we do it at the same time? <laughs> oh. One, two, three. <laughs> That's the sound of Friday. Yes. Oh, I can't believe it's Friday already. This week's gone so fast. Right, let's do a podcast. episode two Woo! exciting and i hope you can hear us more clear because we have turned the volume up yes i was not too loud now but yeah we're sitting on a different floor this time mm. we're sitting on clara's floor mm. yeah we actually wrote a list of topics this time so we didn't Ooh. like ramble on forever so should we just get started yes um we wanted to talk about what each of our like areas do because i was maybe people who don't know theater don't know what we do mm-hmm so yeah, do you want to go first? Yeah. Stage manager. Yeah, I'm Clara. I'm the Swedish one. You remember me. I'm, a sco- I'm a studying stage and events manager at Rose Bruford. And um, I got into this course because I was a placement at an opera in Sweden. And the stage manager, I was, I was, we were watching her, you know, we were doing rehearsals for a show and I saw her and I was, she was like running around doing stuff, typing on her computer. I was like, what is that job? How do I get it? Mm-hmm. Because now I've been doing like acting and singing and dancing, but then I don't, I didn't want to be the person on stage anymore, but I still wanted to be with the crowd, with the cool, cool peeps. So that's when I, yeah, I asked. I was like, what is your job exactly? Mm. And she was like, stage manager. Anyways, so mm. <laughs> stage manager is, um, yeah, it's, a, it's, the, it's usually three stages. So <laughs> especially in England. Yeah, in England, we've got a lot of hierarchy. You love your hierarchy, don't you? Mm. Um, <laughs> love is a strong word. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's a SM, stage manager, is the kind of, uh, buddies with the producer kind of head of all the stage managers and then it's the dsm deputy stage manager and that person is um present at every rehearsals or every rehearsal grammar and they uh, the person take notes um does like uh, yeah scheduling rehearsals um give out calls to the actors and write like this is what we're going to do tomorrow. Make sure that props are in place, costume are in place, so on, so on, so on. And then ASM, the little one at the bottom. <laughs> oh no, it's oh, <laughs> not <no>. really bad. It's <laughs> running around doing like uh, making props, sourcing props, borrowing props, and yeah. It's like a team. The stage manager is a team, you know. We and we are. We, I think we all should be a team. But it's somehow, despite of the team spirit, we are having different jobs. But I think it shouldn't stop us from helping each other out. It shouldn't be like, oh no, you are the one who's going to do the props. Mm. You know, I don't think it should be like that. And I don't think it is. Mm. Not. 
this yeah. is maybe a topic for another video, but in, in like America, 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 because the unions are so strong, uh, the theatre unions, there's this really like culture of like, no, you can't do that. That's the stage manager's job. Mm. And I remember someone was telling me a story about how they got told off for like touching a prop because they were a lighting person. They oh. couldn't touch a prop. And it's the, yeah. So um, I don't know, maybe that's a topic for the next yeah, video. Yeah. But yeah, uh, no, mm. that's really cool. Mm. Stage managers. Yeah. But yeah, lighting. Tell I do, me, I do that. Amelia Hawks, the lighting designer. Yeah. How did you, what, what's the fascination? What do you do? Um, so basically the lighting designer is the person who designs the lights and scenography of the, the play or art piece or musical or whatever. So you basically come in and I think a lighting designer should be held to the same standard, not standard, Maybe standard yet as a that's like a set designer or a theatre designer, but in the industry you're kind of seen as a little bit of like a last minute, like you just come in and then you do the lights and then you go. But I want to pr- approach it more as a design aspect. So you basically do you do a plan, you like work with the programmer and the head of lighting, and you you put lights on that reflect like the mood and the storytelling, and you use attributes of light to help. To help the production basically to make it what the director wants and what you want. Oh, hope that didn't knock the mic. And what the desi- what the director wants and what you want. Yeah, it's well, fun. How do you how do you think when you do a show like, um, oh, they are having a fight in this scene? Mm. Are you thinking like, I want fire, or do you think like more? I want to make the actors look as natural as possible or is it, like it depends it depends on the play yeah. yeah if you're doing something that's like stylistic it depends on the like the the play and like what genre it is and so if you're doing like something really naturalistic like Chekhov yeah but then if you're doing something really like out there like a fringe piece you could mm. like have more like creative liberty but it's really just depends on how you approach it like in development if you start the design process with loads of ideas and then like hone them down that's like the way to do it basically and then yeah it just depends on on what the director needs and what the you think the piece needs and what you want it to look like but when because you're doing like pre-show work you could say you if if we say a show starts how many weeks before rehearsals even start do you come in and do your design when do you get the job Oh, that's a good question. I don't actually know or do in, in a professional sense, but yeah. from like my perspective of doing like drama school plays and stuff, you you start quite far ahead. Mm. You start when the director starts. You start like having meetings and thinking about ideas and like bringing like concepts to the table before rehearsal start. So theoretically, you should bring as much stuff early on so that your your ideas get through. So that the director like knows what you what you want, mm. but like in the real world, because of money and budgets and stuff, you often come in a lot later to the yeah. process. Which is but a then shame, but. when the show actually, when the rehearsals actually like start, well, the show starts, mm-hmm. then your job is done. It's yeah, kind of like yeah. the director yeah. is like, yeah. oh, you're done now. Bye. We're gonna do this show for two years, but you're not gonna mm. be here. Yeah. So you go on to the next show. Yeah. But whereas the stage manager yeah. stays. Exactly, that's yeah. what I, I was going to say, that uh, a stage manager stays. We have we we have some pre-work, we kind of start before rehearsals, but 
we do as just as much as the actors and i i think that's the fascination of it because you're kind of in you're you're doing a show just as much as an actor doing a show if you're doing like the calling uh cue calls i don't know if um people who doesn't know what a cue is because i didn't it's when uh, uh, the dsm says uh, cues for the light or for like the sound or for like uh, scene changes so you you call when it's time for the cue to go so when it's time for something on stage to change so you have to be on point because if you if you say like alex go one second too late and you miss that little mm-hmm. fragment of you know a second that's so important to get it right you know so you have to be in it and i i think that's very fascinating to to be part of the show even mm-hmm. though I don't have to be on the scene. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's really scary. I don't don't like DSMing. It's too scary mm. for me. I don't, I'm scared of like messing it up. Oh yeah, I am. But yeah. it's also very interesting. Fun. Well, yeah, and scary. But uh, the word. What was the word? Say it in Swedish. <laughs> translator. Utmanande. <laughs> that one for all our Swedish listeners. Yeah. You got that. It's very challenging. 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 There challenging. we go. Yeah. Yeah, it's challenging. Yeah. But yeah, should we head on to our next topic or? Yeah, might as well. So our next topic is going to be class and how theatre is quite interesting if you put like a, the lens of looking at like classism on it. Uh, so we, we wrote down a list of topics about how because we think that theatre is very expensive, especially like professional, like West End theatre, and quite inaccessible to people who aren't like rich. Mm-hmm. So, if you take Hamilton, for example, uh, it's quite um, the t- seats are like three hundred pounds, and that's like the cheapest one. But it's marketed as this like all American, like oh, everyone gets like a voice sort of play. But then, who can actually afford to see it? And I know in America, and probably in the UK as well, they do give a certain amount of seats to like uh, people from like inner city schools and stuff. But this, the point still stands, like, it's so expensive. And should we create theatre that is marketed for, like... Not marketed, but like directed at people who are from marginalised groups, but then exclude them from being able to see that theatre? But it, I feel like there's this theory that I can't remember the name of about theatre being made for these marginalised about these marginalised groups and supposedly for them, but it's really for the rich, the bourgeoisie people who go and see it and get some gratification for being like, oh, I was part, I saw it, yes. But then they're really they're really the ones who are actually oppressing the marginalised groups. Ooh, yeah, it's a uh, deep. deep. This is yeah communism. Uh. <laughs> no, but it's very interesting because you you have. Um a better knowledge of class than I do, I think. Mm. I think you are more aware of it in your surroundings and that's very interesting since we started hanging out. You've been teaching me so much and thank you. And therefore, yeah, um, I agree. Like, I've always been, no, I've not always been able to see theatre, but I've been able to, you know, maybe save up, maybe like make my mom like, please mom, can we go see this? You know, half year in advance, but I've, you know, I couldn't go tonight book Hamilton going to see Hamilton because I wouldn't I wouldn't afford it and that's that's sad because it should be accessible. Yeah, definitely. 
And I think, uh, like, in the UK, like, classism is very different to, like, in Sweden. Mm. So I think you come, if you come from a country that isn't the UK, it might be a bit of a shock to the system to see, like, the disparity between, like, the middle class and the working class and then the, like, upper really bougie people. Mm. But I think there's the whole, there's a whole debate to be had about whether we should see theatre that's fringe and it only costs, like, five pounds and then theatre that's, like, local... But at the same time, the work that is being created on the West End, everyone should get to see, and as well as the little fringe community theatre. Mm. But no one can afford it. Yeah, but it's also, I don't know, uh, because I, I want the people working on West End, they should be able to, to live on the money they earn. So mm. I, like, I understand that some, somewhere someone has to pay for this incredible theatre we are getting, but <laughs> why, like, I don't know. I don't know how the economics of Hamilton works, but some somewhere someone is making a profit and it's not the people working backstage. This is an assumption. Yeah. <laughs> don't quote me on this, but that's how I, I assume. Yeah, I think, I think... Like working, like it must have a very high running costs because of all the electricity yeah. and all of the like washing the costumes every night and paying all the actors, especially if you've got like a big cast. But the, all of that money does go to these like private corporations or individuals. We were talking about like Cameron Mackintosh mm-hmm. and like yes, the first um, uh, he did, he took Les Misérables. <laughs> I'm gonna keep saying it like that and Cats mm-hmm. and. Yeah, he. I don't and know. Miss Saigon. He did that one as yeah, well. Yeah, his idea was to produce the same kind of musical in the same way in different uh, cities all over the world. I guess mm-hmm. that was his kind of um, like dream goal, like business, like yeah, his business yeah. to put up Phantom of the Opera exactly the same all over. Uh, yeah, if you don't know him, and I think that's a good idea, but it's also made him very wealthy out of a concept that makes, you know, make makes the theatre seem very bougie and maybe not very accessible. And there's a point to be made about theatre being all this, like, not all the same, because obviously all these play, the these musicals are very different, but we, we like, hold, hold up, like, Phantom of the Opera and Les Mis and Cats, not Cats so much, people don't like Cats, I don't like Cats, on, like, this pedestal of, like, being, like, the pinnacle of, like, Eng- like British theatre. But is it, though? I don't know. Because, like, I think there's so much more interesting theatre being created or that has been created. Mm. Not in the UK, but just in the world. Or, like, that that doesn't get so much notoriety and so much fame outside of this very niche, these niche theatre circles that we're in. Because it's so easy to be trapped in a bubble and I'll be home talking to my mum and I'll mention, like, a really obscure practitioner and she'll be like, what? Mm-hmm. You know, you know me. I love musicals. So mm-hmm. I I put the Miss very high up on my list, and maybe not Cats, but mm-hmm. <laughs> the rest of those. That's a topic musicals. for another episode. <laughs> yeah, we don't like Cats. <laughs> um. uh, no, so I I some part of me is like I'm fine with paying all those money to see a musical because it's you know that's what I love and that's what I want to spend my money on, but it also it's also very sad um i don't know how how many musicals have you been able to see like west end like broadway through your life 
West End, I think I've seen three. Three, like, uh, no, mm, like two on the West End and then one at the National, which I can't, it's not the West End, but no. like, it's, mm. uh, so I've seen, I've seen Company mm. that I got a very cheap ticket for. It was really good. And I saw The Lion King. I saw an autistic friendly screening with my little brother a few years ago. I got it oh. as a birthday present. And that was really cool, actually. That was really, really cool. But yeah, no, it is, it's just so expensive. Like, especially as a student. And there are, like, deals to be had. Mm. But then you end up so high up in the in the gods, which yeah. is... I like, wa- yeah, I watched Lemis uh, a couple of months back. And we were, you know... Was it called the stall? Mm. No, the you know when you're like it's like really really high up. Yeah, yeah, the we, gods. Yeah. I could see half of the right side of the stage. So whatever was going on in the front of the stage and on the left, from where I was sitting, I couldn't see. Mm. <laughs> so I, it was, well, luckily I've seen it before and I knew that you know everyone knows Lemis, but I was just yeah. like, oh, there's no one on my side of the stage now, so I don't know what's going on. <laughs> it's like. It's it's good that they do offer like seats that are cheaper, mm. but you sacrifice the scenography and you sacrifice some of the staging. Like I saw Chicago in Liverpool quite a few years ago now, the tour that came, and we were in restricted view seats, and it just it didn't ruin the experience because I I didn't really like it. But quite a few people left. The people like ne- next to us who had more of a restricted view left halfway through because they just couldn't see anything, mm. and it's like that's so sad. These people like you could have saved up to go see. Chicago mm. and then not be able to see it it's mm. kind of it's sad and to try and get such a you're trying to get a broad cultural experience and see all these like plays and musicals but then you end up not being able to see mm. see it it's like that's another point that I forgot last week when we did a little Shakespeare rant that we had to be standing up as well that's an old tradition that they're trying to keep at the globe that some of the seats were standing seats um fun idea not so fun in reality mm. just throwing it in there especially if you're doing richard the third which is about six hours long yeah i'm only slightly exaggerating there it was very long and for people with wheelchairs or any other disabilities not very accessible no not at all or even if you've got like a bad back and you're like oh no i'll be fine standing then you stand for like two hours and it's kill it's killing you and i think yeah, I think the theatres like the national, and have a good have it good like have a good idea of like trying to make it accessible. But this is Amelia not liking the Globe again because they fired Emma Rice. But sh- we don't talk about that. Oh, this is another topic. Should we talk about this one? This is this is proper drama. Theatre gossip. Uh, so basically, there was a woman called Emma Rice. She runs. A, she ran a company called Nehi that do really cool, like innovative theatre, and she got hired as the artistic director of the Globe. Weird choice because the Globe doesn't do lights, doesn't do anything like sagey. They just do daylight and costumes. Weird choice because like Nehi is so creative and they use so much scenography and sound and stuff. Um, and then basically they had like they. She think she was there for like a year. And they got such bad reviews because she had so much. She she had such a battle with like the producers at the Globe because she was trying to integrate like lighting and like new elements and stuff. But and then eventually she got like she she left. I'm doing quotation marks because there was a big scandal whether or not she was actually like fired or whether she left of her own volition. 
and people were like, oh, is it because she's a woman? But it was more, I think, from my perspective, was it because that she was trying to bring lighting into the globe. Lighting in theatre? Unheard of. Like, I just think the globe is so antiquated. And there's a reason why they don't get any government funding. Oh, Let's just say that. Yeah, they don't. Yeah. Mm, there's, there's some there's some data tea for you all. So, uh, <laughs> so my, my dad uh, he has always told me, don't do service jobs because then you'll be working when other people have time off. Guess what, Dad? I'm gonna work in theatre where everyone has time off except for me. And what do you think, Amelia? Do you think uh, that's the truth? Yeah. That we have chosen a bad business for anyone who wants to spend time at home and watch Game of Thrones? Yeah. My tutor always used to say to me, like, you're going to work when people are coming home from work. And it's so true. Especially if you're, like, operator or an ASM. You go to work at five and you, you leave work at, like, one. And everyone else is asleep and... It's it's quite sad, especially if you've got seasonal depression like me, um, because you don't see any sunlight because you're indoors and asleep and stuff. And I think theatre is yeah yeah mm. it's right yeah. But I I I know the backside of it, but I think that if, when you have the rehearsals and when you have the like production uh, time before the shows, that's when you have a normal life. And then when you have shows, you only have shows maybe. A couple of nights a week and then you can have a normal life as well and another point to make is that you make kind of a uh, your friends will be working because you're hopefully your friends with your workmates so uh, i'm i'm trying to find the positivity <laughs> yeah yeah no you're right yeah and it's good and like theater does create such a good community especially if you are a theater person and you like other theater people like i adore performers with every like inch of my soul like they're so they're such lovely people and everyone creative is i just get on with really well so it's quite that's quite good but because because if you work as a freelancer, like a lot of lighting designers and stage managers do, unless you get like a residency, um, you're it's so hard to like start a family because we're both women and like get like a normal relationship. If you're like outside, if unless you like have a relationship with someone who's in theatre as well almost or like in performing arts or something because your hours are so weird and you're in rehearsal at weird times then you've got to make props and like do a lighting plan and stuff i don't know what do you think about that um i think i would i wouldn't want to go freelance that's one thing that i that i've known from like my first events mm-hmm. <laughs> lesson <laughs> with one of my teachers he was like it's so good to go freelance you have all these free you can choose whatever you want to do i'm like no, yeah. <laughs> I want to be in one place, in one city, buy my little house, have my little dog, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like know that I will be home in like 20 minutes. And no, I don't know. I just feel like that's the hopefully the life that I can, can have and I want to have. And so, um, what was I saying? Uh, hopefully, yeah, and as well with... Uh, being a woman in theatre as well, having babies, I think you have to plan it very well. And, you know, it's 
you can never plan a pregnancy or like yeah know, making your family you know adopting or i don't know it's <laughs> neither it's un- of, neither of us had babies so we're not an expert on this no subject. but it just but, feels unfair yeah it does it is unfair and like a lot of female lighting designers because you you kind of have to be freelance as a lighting designer because that's where all the work is and a lot of them do have to make that choice between like shall i have a family or shall i have a career because if you take even like a month out of like networking and like doing jobs you lose so much work and it's like it's really sad but then you have to take like nine months out to have a baby <laughs> your basic your career is like and then, like two years to raise yeah, the baby yeah, yeah it's it's really hard and i know oh. a lot of female lighting designers do have kids uh, my favorite my icon legend and star the god of lighting poorly constable has children and she's the best lighting designer in the country and maybe the world and maybe she's a god who knows um conspiracy but, conspiracy uh but like it that's because i th- i think i someone told me that like her husband raises the children or something i don't know that's just gossip maybe cut that out but um <laughs> Like, you do have to sacrifice, and there are so many... There's so few women in lighting, like, high up. Like, I can name maybe, like, ten male lighting designers, and they can then I can name maybe, like, two females working today. And it's just like, okay then, all right, woo! But I do want to have kids. Yeah. But I don't want to, like, give up my career. You have to plan your whole career after... Around, yeah, around kids. Yeah, and then you have to live in one place, have a house, have, you know the space for a child and the time for a child and a partner to look after your child. Uh, don't get me started. Yeah, maybe maybe that could be the next topic of this episode, we can talk about babies. Do you ever yeah. get really maternal? Mm. <laughs> Should I share this information? It depends. Does your <laughs> mum listen to this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Do it. Go on, Clara. Spill the tea. No, we've just... still got like twenty more minutes to fill. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I've told you just just because I have a boyfriend. My boyfriend Elof lives in Sweden, and we usually joke about uh, calling our baby Pelle. Because it's a, such a cute name. It's a silly name. Pelle. So every time I have like a little food baby. Or you know when you're bloated. He's like pats my stomach. And he's like, is it Pelle? <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> no, it's not. Not it's yet. Too soon. Too soon. Oh, I always get really, whenever I see like a small child. Or like, like one of my tutors was showing me a video of his little girl. He's like three years old. And I was like, baby. Baby. But then, like, my logical brain is like, no, I've got a whole career, I'm in uni still. And then my, like, little, like, uterus brain is like, it's time. <laughs> biological clock, time to have one. And I'm like, no, not yet. And my biological clock and my uterus are there, like, have a baby. And I'm here, like, no, not yet. Don't even have a boyfriend. <laughs> and you, Lloyd Webber. Oh! Let's talk right. about cats. Let's rant about cats. Yeah, I've had a, I've had half a beer and I'm ready to chat shit about cats. Okay, it sucks. <laughs> the songs individually are good. I don't, I wouldn't say are, but can be. I, I for instance, have been singing, you know, midnight, and also Mungo Jerry and Mumble yeah, yeah. That's a very fun one. But the whole concept of cats. It's very strange. It's so weird. Like, I get a little bit. Like, the poetry that it's based off is, like, good. 
but like dancers in like spandex with a tail like <laughs> what what and then they like introduce each character like hi and then they sing a song it's me and then it's the next one hi it's me it's just but there's like no real plot to it it's just like all these characters being like hi i'm bobcat and then they do a little a weird little song and dance and then it just kind of ends and then someone goes to heaven or something the second act has a little more to it i think there's a uh, enemy cat or something or like the I don't know it's my cavity the mystery cat. yeah who like <laughs> comes in that's and what I'm gonna call my cat when I get him in the suburb I'm getting a cat my cavity my cavity my cavity my cavity <laughs> but I <laughs> think there's a there's a similarity between cats and hair since I <coughs> did not do hair <coughs> just a little bit illegal and there's kind of the same thing with the first act is just uh, the characters introducing themselves. It's like Burger has the first song, you know. Donna, 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 I was looking for Donna, Donna, I was 16 year old virgin. Okay, that has nothing to do with him, but. No, Manchester, England, England. No, that's Claude. Uh, <laughs> I've never actually seen her. Oh. No. I can sing you the whole soundtrack okay. in Swedish. Do it, yeah, <laughs> it's fine. Like, we'll just fill up time on the podcast as Clara sings hair in Swedish. Um, no, so it's kind of the same thing. The first act is like all these characters coming in, introducing themselves. So, and then the second act is everyone is getting high. Claude is, gets a bad trip, and um, yeah. Do you think that's maybe like a structure for like musicals? Like the first act is like introduction, and the second act is like story. Story. No, I don't know. No, I think it's cats and hair particularly, particularly because. Um, we were talking about this, the Andrew Lloyd Webber kind of have made the structures and the way of writing musical songs. But I don't think a lot of musicals, I don't think the Phantom of the Opera has like every character is introducing themselves, is it? I don't know. Can't Maybe a little. Yeah, yeah. Like the well, first few, so I was just thinking yeah. about that, like Hamilton has like the first Alexander, few, so- Alexander. and then he has the song, the... Um, is it my shot where yeah. all of the like the guys introduce yeah. themselves and then if you think what's another yeah, example? That's true. Then Hades Town yeah. has like the opening number and then like Our Lady of the uh, no um living it up on top where everyone introduces themselves. Well what that's else? true. Yeah, what else? What's another example? Let me think. Um uh, like uh, Wicked. I don't know. Wicked mm, there is, the opening song does do it, but it does it quite like succinctly and it's oh, more to do with staging. Like, have you seen Wicked Live? Yeah. Where they, like, show, like, Glin- not Glinda, Elphaba's... Elphaba, like, his her father cheats yeah. on her mother and stuff. That's like, true. That's all staging, I guess. Mm. What other musicals do we have? Dreamgirls. But that's not... That's, like, the film. Mm. Have you seen the film? Yeah. I, no, I've not actually seen Dreamgirls. I've listened to the music, though. Do you ever go that thing when you, like, go on YouTube and then you like, go through... And you keep just keep watching like you keep going on like the auto recommended and it's just different musicals mm-hmm. and I do that all the time. Whenever I get like bored, I'm just like, oh, Dreamgirls. I'm like, oh, do you have any any favorite uh, Broadway or West End singers? Sing? Oh, that's a good question. Oh, I really like Amber Gray who plays Persephone in Hades Town. Oh, she, she has in- a. Yeah, voice. yeah, yeah. It's so different. Right. Yeah, yeah. And she was in there, The Great Comet as well. She played. Um, Oh, Helene. Oh, that's a really good musical. I'd highly recommend that as well. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, no. I. What about you? Who's your favorite like West End singer? Uh, Jeremy Jordan. Yeah. Um, he was in Waitress, wasn't he? No. Didn't they? They're pretty sure there was like a big thing. Maybe I'm making that up. I have. I know him pretty well. No, okay. He was in Last Five Years in the film oh, with Anna yeah, Kendrick. Yeah. And and he's been singing like uh, covers. They have a in New York. They have a Forty Second Street. It's like a club mm-hmm. where where famous West End people do like uh, shows. Well, just sing songs and stuff. And he's just. Uh, every time I just cry. You should go. We should go see him. He's so good. You know, he was also in Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think it was like off Broadway or something. But it's a very good musical as well. It's very nice. Party music? No, not party. My friend, uh, got, my friend went to go see uh, Darren Chris and Leah Michelle live in Manchester. Darren Chris, isn't he from Glee? Glee yeah, Glee. and he was in uh, Star Kid as well. Ooh, that's another topic. And uh, Leah Michelle, she was also in Glee. Ah, but she's like obsessed with them. Yeah. And she sent me loads of videos of it and I was like, I'm so jealous. I just want to see it. But I don't, it's not really my like style of theatre, like high key, like West End Broadway and stuff. But you still see it and it's like so good. Yeah. It's not the sort of stuff that I like, it, like I enjoy it, but it's not like my passion. Mm. But I still like it. Mm. I know. What do you think? Like, what's your what's your type of dish that you're passionate about? It's musical. <laughs> it's a musical, a musical. Yeah, yeah. From like the opposite. I yeah. came to this business because of musicals. Because I love musicals. I know, I don't know old musicals, but I want to write my own musical, and I just love musicals. But I'm also, I'm glad that I've seen so many plays because I haven't seen a lot of plays before. Uh, England, Bruford, all of this. Uh, so I'm very glad that I've actually seen just spoken plays because that was <laughs> it was a bit strange for me the first time. I was like, when are they gonna start singing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> musicals have no talking at all. No talking at all. Bruford's weird because we don't have a musical theatre course. That's very strange. We have like acting musicianship, which is like coming. It's like one of the few like universities that actually have that course. Yeah, it's and that's a very good one. But yeah, and that's coming into like theatre more. There's mm. less musicals and less mm. spoken plays, but there's more plays with song. Mm. What do you think about that? Like, I, how do you feel about that? I'm I am impressed by the acting muses. If I would have gone and and performing. Uh, line at this school line course uh, I would have gone for actor muso even though I can't play too much but I guess you learn but I'm impressed because they're like they're so good but I I think we should have a musical theatre course as well mm. I think it's kind of lacking because uh, every uh, my uh, friends well friends well people who goes to the same course that I did back home musical theatre I kind of want to recommend them my school but I can't because we don't have a musical theatre course. Yeah. So it's like, I think Rose Bruford should have one, but I'm also very impressed with actor music. <laughs> yeah. I think maybe they should have one, but maybe they shouldn't, because there are so many musical theatre courses in the mm-hmm. UK that are good. Like um, It's just that I don't know them. <laughs> yeah. Italia Conti and Bird do ones as well, but they're mainly dance. Mm. I don't know, Bruford doesn't do dance either. It's just performing and then backstage, like, design subjects. Mm. They don't do a dance course. They I think do... the actors' stuff do some dancing. Yeah, but, but it's not, like, specifically. Yeah. Which is really weird for coming from a, like, a drama school that mm. does dance, music, acting, and then backstage. They have no dance and no music, apart from actor musos. It's really weird. But it's very interesting, the actor muso uh, course, and we're giving them some 
shout out shout out here but it's like uh, they can take any play and then turn it into something musical yeah not not musical but something with music they're like that's their challenge i guess to always find a way to put music in a piece Mm. and that's i just love that because i love music music yeah you know that's a i love the the idea of the course what's that line from something rotten in uh it's like uh, it's summer just plays with song. Summer just plays with song. Mm. Yeah, it's like that's, that's sometimes like we saw. Um, did you see Blue Stockings? Yeah, and that that had loads of music in, but it wasn't a musical at all. But all of like transitions and like one guy had a cello, exactly, yeah. and it was really really cool. Like, it was beautiful, and they found a way to incorporate all this beautiful music into it, and all the performers played the the music as well. It was really cool. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, we're back. Uh, well, we think uh, theatre should be for everyone, but it's also at some point understandable that you have to pay for it because we want to get paid. Yeah, we want money. Yeah. Pay us. I want. I want to be able to buy my cat. So pay us, please. Yeah. Maybe if the government would help us a bit. But yeah, it's a conservative government. That's the topic for next episode. We'll talk about the conservatives and how I don't like them. There. So this episode, we did some stuff. We talked about things. We talked about theatre. Yeah. And then babies. Oh, I mean, yeah. And then musicals. (laughs) Yeah. And then we did some ASMR, but that's going to be cut out. For... mm some reasons. Uh, (laughs) Thank you for listening to Speak Up Podcast. Thank you for tagging along to this second episode um the whole eight people who listened to the first one wow hopefully you'll listen to this one too Mm. and follow us on instagram speak up society brew and tell us if we are bad or if we are good yeah thank you very much for listening Bye. bye